0: Want to support the show? How about becoming a Route 16 Grind Patreon today for as little as a buck a month? It's not just a contribution, but an investment that goes directly to the show. Help this podcast expand and grow. Check out the show notes for the links to our Patreon page. This week on the Route 16 Grind, in the outdoor update, Chuck discusses the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. From the field, Chuck and I will talk about the NCBHA Trashy Squirrel event. In our On Target segment, segment, Instructor One from Riker USA shares, shares with us the great rundown of some brands and products that caught his eye during SHOT Show 2020. In the Rock, Mud, and Dirt, I talk about King of the Hammers off-road race that combines desert racing and rock crawling. In our Go Adventuring segment, I interview Erica, a New York steak angler that is all about getting her fish on. Then we wrap up the show with a cup of joe. Route 16 Grind, Episode 12. Anyone
1: have a squirrel dog I can borrow? The Route 16 Grind is sponsored by Sea State Coffee, Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, and Route 1-6 Off-Road. <laughs> Welcome the Route 1-6 Grind, the podcast for outdoor adventurers. Each week, we bring you information related to off-road and outdoor activities. If you wheel, hunt, fish, overland, or are an all-around adventurer, this podcast is for you. Each week we pour a cup of Sea State coffee and talk about informative topics, the gear, and the training that can help you have a successful outdoor adventure. We have amazing contributors and some great conversation. So, grab your cup and enjoy the show. Here are your hosts, Brian and Chuck. All right, welcome back to the Route 16 Grind
0: Podcast. I'm Brian of Route16. And I'm here with my fellow host, Chuck. Chuck,
2: how you doing, bud? Doing good, man. Super busy week. Hope yeah. you're doing well.
0: Yeah, I'm busy. Busy, too. Hey, so uh, we got a big show, man. We got a lot of stuff.
2: Yeah, a couple interviews, uh, pretty good outdoor update. Uh, yeah, this is this is a big one. They've been action-packed here lately, I feel like.
0: I think they're all action-packed, man. What's up? So, I, hey, we got a couple interview or a couple reviews. <laughs> uh, how about we get to those and we'll roll on with the show there. So... We got uh, from a post in Facebook, Stephen W. in Kansas says, good podcast, guys. Keep it up. Hey, Stephen in Kansas, thank you, brother. It's only good because you listen, man. Thank you so much. From Instagram, Carter bm 2 who I met at the Sam Hills Game Lands while rabbit hunting, said, listen to your podcast, love them. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, I think Chuck and I are actually going to talk a little bit about that day later in the show. So, hey, everyone, we appreciate your posts and your feedback. One of the best ways to help the show is to post a five-star review with your feedback on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. This helps us grow the Route 1-6 Grind audience, and we also get a chance to hear from you. So if you love the show, please consider, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts today. The Outdoor
1: Update is brought to you by Tuffy Security Products. Having your vehicle broken into is not a laughing matter. Trust Tuffy Security Products to stop opportunistic thieves. Tuffy is the industry leader in automotive security and provides peace of mind when you walk away from your rig. Durable and easy to install, Tuffy Security Products has adventure-ready consoles, drawers, and lockboxes available for you to organize your rig and secure your gear. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. Remember to lock it up welcome back to the
2: outdoor update the weekly segment where we provide you with stories news and information from the recent going zones in the outdoor world the boundary waters canoe area wilderness is located in minnesota within the superior national forest the wilderness area there is one million acres in size and it includes over 1200 miles of canoe routes plus a 2000 designated campsites the bwca was protected under the Wilderness Act with the signing of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness Act of 1978 1970- by Jimmy Carter. And this this piece of legislation, it piggybacked on many other protections that had been going on in the area since the turn of the century. It just solidified it more at the federal level. There were various treaties and things between the United States and Canada that protected certain things in the area, but this set the boundary, this expanded the size and got it up to a million acres and classifies as as the designated wilderness that we know today. And not only are the Boundary Waters a place where one can go to, to experience a truly unique uh, time in the outdoors, but it's also a huge economic driver in the area. The Boundary Waters, wilderness area is the most visited wilderness area in the country in 2017 there was a study that looked at the impacts of copper nickel mining in the region and how that would affect the boundary orders well that study was canceled and if the study would have found that mining would have severe negative impacts on the wilderness area then there would have been a 20-year moratorium placed on mining and the concern is that pollution from mining operations located within the Boundary Waters watershed would result in some catastrophic environmental impacts, and this could realistically change the entire area for the long term, if not forever. So currently, since this study has been canceled, and you can mine within, not within the wilderness area, but within the Superior National Forest around it, Twin Metals Minnesota has proposed a mine within that national forest and it's upstream from the boundary waters. And as expected, this was met with a lot of public opposition, with those that don't want to see the mine come to fruition having concerns about light, noise, air, and water pollution, with the primary concern being basic tox or being toxic byproducts from the mining process leaching into the watershed and then being carried downstream to the boundary waters. Well, today, the House Committee of Natural Resources held a hearing on the subject of H.R. 5598, or better known as the Boundary Waters, Wilderness, Protection, and Pollution Prevention Act, and the bill is summarized as follows, to provide for the protection of the Boundary Waters, Canoe Area, Wilderness, and Interconnected Federal Lands and Waters, including Voyagers National Park within the Rainy River watershed in the state of Minnesota and for other purposes, i.e., this bill protects the boundary waters by ensuring that the entire watershed is protected. And this is vital because according to the bill, a peer-reviewed study of water quality impacts from 14 operating United States copper sulfide mines found 100% of the mines experienced pipeline spills or accidental releases with 13 mines experiencing failures of water collection and treatment systems to collect contaminated mine seepage, resulting in significant water quality impacts. Naturally, the opposition of this bill hinges its argument on the economic impacts of permanently excluding 234,328 acres from potential mining operations without the possibility of environmental impact studies in the future. I watched the hearing today, and I encourage you to go out and do the same. Uh, Unlike a lot of these hearings, that they get bogged down with so much political jargon. This one was easy to understand, and it contains a lot of significant information about what's going on with the Boundary Waters, and it comes at both sides. it's, it was something that it almost listened to like a podcast where people were able to come forward and present their arguments. It was very interesting. There are various people from various conservation organizations that testified and, and stated the importance of protecting this mine and stated or protecting this watershed and protecting the boundary waters in general. And the importance of it on the American landscape. So i really like for you to check it out. There's a link to the bill in our show notes. And also there are various other resources that have been linked in the show notes about the Boundary Water Canoe Area Wilderness. So check those out. Educate yourselves a little bit more.
0: You know, I've never heard good things about copper mines. Um, I know that looking at images of it, National Geographic or anything that's on the web, you just it, I mean, it just seems like... You just don't know the impacts of those things. Um, Right.
2: Well, and, and, you know, and I, this is, this is something that I've been aware of for a while. It just so happened that today was the day that they had the hearing. And I said, well, this would be the perfect time to talk about it because it's fresh. People can go watch the hearing. It's a couple hours, but. There's mining, and and that's what a lot of these folks from Minnesota are touting. They're used to mining, but this copper sulfide mining is a whole different animal. Uh, even though it is below ground mining, the big concern is, from what I've gathered, is the slurry that's coming back up, um, and and some of the byproducts leaking leaching out into the air, into the water. But like you said, with with you've never heard good things about it. When I start hearing all these copper sulfide mines leak, I'm like or sulfide ore copper mines leak and all this. And they all cause all this. I was like, okay, that's a hyperbole, you know, that's coming from the opposition. It's, it's a, it's, it, they're hoping people don't look into it, but realistically, once you look into it, all of these mines having problems, isn't that far off of a statement. <laughs>
0: right. And you know, Minnesota's a pretty wet and saturated state as it is. And they're like what is Atlanta, 10,000 lakes. Is that Minnesota? That's the right state. Yeah. Yep. So your, yep. their water table is probably pretty easy access. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, I know I've been to a copper mine or something like that. Just so I had to go real deep back in my history in the Marine Corps. We actually used to train in this one area. It was an old copper mine, and they had it, you know, like mm-hmm. that, you know, case. But it's very, it was mostly desert out there. Um, right. So this. Uh, you know This environment that they're doing it in, I mean, I could see where it would have a tremendous amount of impact. I need to get a lot smarter on this. I'm definitely going to check. Personally, I'm going to check that out and, and try and understand it uh, so I truly understand where both sides of the argument are coming from. But right. anytime you're doing mining, anytime you're doing anything like that, I know it's a tough thing, but... And, right. I, and the problem when you have large companies and corporations that do this kind of thing, they literally look at it and go, well, can we afford to be sued, you know, three, four times right. versus yeah. put yeah. in. And to me, that's just, you know, excuse my language. That's just kind of bullshit right there. You need right. to do the right thing. That's just well, it.
2: You're, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And, and they all say they do, but at the end of the day, accidents do happen. And I get it. And I don't think for the most part, they're not intentionally having these environmental impacts, but accidents do happen. And, and kind of how it's set up now, you've got the Boundary Waters Wilderness Area, then there's a buffer zone, and then there's the rest of the national forest. Okay, well, in that buffer zone now, there's currently no mining allowed. But in the green area, um, that's not within this buffer zone, but it's national forest, It is there. there is mining allowed. But essentially what this bill would do would block off mining in most of that area, from what I understand, potentially all of it. But the reason is it's, it's, it's because of the potential of this particular type of mining and it getting into the water and water flows downhill. So this, the, the, anything that gets contaminated is going to end up eventually getting into the boundary waters. And if it does, I mean, this is, I've never been there. It's on the bucket list, but I know a good bit about it. It's a premier destination, like I said I mean it's the most visited wilderness area in the country.
0: I need to check it out. I mean, when you said that, I was like, now nah, I feel you know like I'm missing out on something so I, I I definitely need to check it out and you know what's interesting about this conversation, Chuck because we both live in North Carolina, like when I say coal ash, i don't think there's anyone that's lived in the states in this state in the last decade that right. doesn't understand you know me being a guy I don't want a lot of government regulation, and everything else and but the 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 reason government comes in and gives all these arguments is because of events where you know companies are trying to take the shortcuts and right. all that kind of stuff like that and you're like hey i got to make you do it and you know that's a whole different type of podcast if you will but what i'm what i'm getting at is i think we understand environmental impacts because right. that is a that's something that man we have lived every day for the last decade or more here in North Carolina with this cold ash issue
2: Right, and and with you talking about like, because um, both of you, you and I, both kind of pretty much agree on government regulation and how it's not, it's not the greatest thing in the world. I view the federal government's job is to handle interstate affairs and foreign affairs and water is a prime example of this, which is one reason that the EPA came about to begin with is because water flows from state to state. So it's not okay for one state to pollute the piss out of the water and then for it to flow down, say from North Carolina to South Carolina or to harbor all the water. That's something where federal regulation needs to come in and, and handle these interstate issues. Well, this right here has the potential to turn into an international issue because it, I mean, it literally lies on the Canadian border. The boundary waters do. I think 150 miles of it is along wow. the Canadian border. Um, and, and this, so this is something which is, like I said, it was. Original protections were through treaties with Canada. I, w- I want to say that that number was just a right around a half a million acres of that was protected at that time. It ended up becoming a million through this act. But either way, I think this is somewhere, the point being, this is somewhere where the federal government needs to step in and, and, do something in order to regulate these impacts because I mean, whether the water is going North or South, it's affecting somebody downstream and these corporations shouldn't be allowed to do that.
0: Right. And you know, that's just impacting all the things that we enjoy with the outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting, all the other things that we enjoy. It's just a a domino effect. You know, Chuck, every time I just, I love the material you bring every week and I'm going to dive into this. I'm going to learn some more and, I'm really going to formulate an educated opinion. And that's what I love about what you bring. It really makes us think. Thank you so much, brother.
2: Oh, for sure. And I appreciate it.
1: The Red worn Badge says you're equipped to handle anything, ready to conquer any challenge that may come your way. That badge has stood for off-road excellence for more than 70 years. During that time, we haven't stopped innovating or striving for perfection. Be ready. Be prepared. Go Warn.
2: the calls you know we have a report from the field and this week we've got a repeat guest brian's going to share with us a little bit of his experiences from his squirrel hunt on the Hills game land for north carolina bha's trashy squirrel event which i talked about last week essentially what we've done at north carolina bha is created a competition between the various management districts across the state as established by the north carolina uh, wildlife commission And whichever district kills the most squirrels and or collects the most trash based on the point system that's been devised wins the Trashy Squirrel Trophy. This is the second annual event for that. And last year, District 1 won it. Hopefully this year we bring it back up to my district and District 8. But unfortunately, I haven't been able to get out and participate. Been swamped, busy weekends and things. It's typically a busy time of the year for me. But Brian was able to get out and, uh, we're going to, we're going to hear what he found and how, how things went for him.
0: Well, I'm just going to go straight to the point. I left a hungry hunter, but I had a wonderful experience. So I went out to the Sandhills Hills game lands of so where I live in Moore County, North Carolina, um, from my house it's around, you know, 35, 40 minute drive, really easy to access, uh, a lot of roads that you can get out through there. Um, and The initial spot that I chose is very open terrain, um, high grass, uh, pine trees, all that. And I'm thinking because where I live at, these squirrels are everywhere, everywhere. I'm going, hey, I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to pick a spot on the map. I'm going to go use my Onyx map in in there. And uh, I'm literally, Chuck, it was quiet. It was so peaceful. Uh, And I literally got out there first light. So it wasn't like at 9 o'clock. I mean, I got up. Right. I went and had breakfast. So, right when sun was coming up, sunrise, I was already in the field. I was ready to go. And yep. I did a lot of walking, a lot of listening. Um, I, I'm not even keen, not one, I didn't see one squirrel all day. And my initial spot that I went to, uh, into Sand Hills Gainland, I got to tell you, uh, that area was pristine. Um, right. It, it, I did not see one piece of trash and I was just uh, like, wow, this is, this is pretty awesome. So uh, I'm definitely, yep. <laughs> I'm getting, got no squirrels, got no trash, but I decided after about two hours in the area that I was in, I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and relocate. And uh, I went and reload, I wanted to go by this pond, a little bit thicker brush. And because, you know, rabbit season's still here. And I was like, well, if I don't get any squirrels. Maybe I can pick up a rabbit or something. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So,
0: so I drove down to the pond and then there was a, a group out there with their dogs, about three gentlemen, and they were hunting rabbit. So uh, me just being the, uh, uh, constant marketer, if you will, I decided, Hey, I'm going to put my business cards and so my, you know, route one, six cards on their truck. And one of the guys saw me and they were like <laughs> pulling, putting their, uh, clicking the lights, you know, like unlock and lock the door. Uh, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if they thought it was kind of being shady and, you know, I can, I can respect that. So I waited till one of them comes up to explain myself, had a great conversation, uh, well,
2: that's with, good. Them,
0: with them and, uh, they were hunting rabbit. We compared notes and he goes, Hey, have you seen anything? I said, no, I saw three doe though. Oh, really? I did. And you appreciate this. So I'm out there, I'm walking and there's these three doe and initially they're about, I would say 50 yards away from me. Right. And I mm-hmm. keep walking and they're not moving. They're just I probably came within 15 yards. Then they right. silently trot, and then they took a sprint out. They knew season was out, man.
2: Oh, they do. They knew. They, they were
0: taunting me. They were absolutely yeah. taunting me. But I marked it on my map because they were, it was a bed down. I mean, because I went in the area they're at, and you could see where they were just kind of bedded down. So they just right. propped up, and then they took off. So I marked that on there as well for future reference. Um, and then, uh, you know what? I saw a lot of nature out there too, man. Um, I mean, things that you just, uh, I, I think unless you go out there and, and I know this is we're talking about from the field and we want a successful hunt. We don't want hungry hunters and all that. And I would love to share that with you, but I'll share you some amazing things I saw. I found an old tree stand out there that's probably been out there since the sixties where a tree actually just kind of
2: grew through. Um, uh, yeah, those and, are always cool finds, man. The I mean, old homemade ones and everything. You find them scattered about pretty regular.
0: It had that like old, like seating that you would see. It, 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 this literally looked like something that was pulled out of a vehicle. Uh, the seating, um, the the upholstery, all that was something that you would expect would pull out of a vehicle around that era, around <laughs> the 60s. It was totally homemade, you know, two yeah. by fours, all that, uh, and everything. The tree just kind of grew through it because it's been there so long. Um, also, uh, just, you know, nature. So there was a tree fall, the tree fell out there. So imagine the tree falling and then, uh, a piece of the um, trunk breaks and falls onto a, another tree in between a branch and mm-hmm. the trunk. That actually, you saw this vine just wrap around this thing. So all, the, and now this, it was just amazing. I just all these little things I was just finding out there, and yeah. that, and I'm telling you, I walked a while. I was trying to stir up brush to get the rabbit. You know, oh yeah, I did everything. I I did find, uh, I did find some interesting. I don't know if there's beaver out there um but a lot of gnawing on trees uh out there in that area probably I'm not really familiar yeah. if they are you know if we have uh you know what like do nutrias is that what I'm saying that right do they eat bark nutrias Nutri- yeah do they eat bark
2: uh i know they eat plants they eat a lot of roots and things like that but i don't believe that they're in that area yeah uh, the, the only ones i've ever been aware of in north carolina are along on the coast
0: yeah cuz uh, i was like thinking like yeah I don't know. I was just trying to, like, because, I mean, I know what beaver marks look like for the most part. It was just interesting. I, I haven't seen anything like that. And then. Uh,
2: well, it could have been a tree that they hadn't really tried to cut down. You know yeah. what I mean? That right. hit it real, real hard. There's no telling.
0: Yeah. the uh, If it was, I'll tell you what, if it was ever woodpecker season, that's the place <laughs> to go. Yep. Woodpeckers everywhere. Um, and, you know. Totally that's a good
2: there. little game land from what I've been told by quite a few people. Oh, yes, uh,
0: it's big. I mean, well, I mean, depending on who you talk to when you say big. Right. But let me put it this way. I, that first place I went to, I honestly felt I had the entire game land to myself. I didn't see another hunter, anything. Um, I had, you know, free walk. And if you as far as doves, yes, great area for doves. They have a uh, – yeah. what am I thinking about on a game land where you can actually, you know, test your dogs out, get them trained and all that? They have an area for that. Trials? Um, yeah, they have trials. a trials area big trials there out there uh but for for dove yeah they're all over there so if it was dove season absolutely um trying to think what yeah but far as like the the main wildlife that you're going for they know man i think the rabbits and squirrels just kind of got together and said let's just hunker down for the next couple weeks i didn't see one squirrel i know not one
2: i know some guys that have uh i know some guys that bird hunt that place a pretty good bit upland bird wise uh do pretty decent on woodcock out there. So uh, from, from what I've gathered from it, it's a pretty solid, small game, um, game land.
0: I can see that. So, Um, I mean, I, I didn't get around the pond too much. Uh, there it's, it goes mm -hmm. like, uh, there's a real good swampy area i i think for me what i need to do is get out there and walk the ground more and get around the pond and kind of look at tracks and kind of get more exposure of what's kind of really out there Uh, maybe pick up on some trails Mm -hmm. and stuff like that Uh, but yeah it is it is a it's a fun place i had a great time out there and then the second area there was trash and uh, i bagged Uh some up on the way out uh And it, but it wasn't too bad. I did find one area I couldn't do nothing about, and I might go back out there with my son on Sunday, um, and get a bucket Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of glass. There's this one hole like it looked almost like a pit. Uh People driving, just that's where you throw whatever uh, into this pit, and it's all glass, man. And it's not all beer and stuff like that, but it's like just mason jars, whatever. It's like it was kind of strange. Um, I didn't see any washer dryers mm-hmm. <laughs> out there, which, uh, Tennessee, you, you, will find something like that in public land, you know, so yeah. just oh, yeah. tires and like, you're like, good yeah. Lord, really couldn't take that to the dump, man.
2: Um, but
0: it was a well, really and good day. That's like
2: last year, last year we, um, we squirrel hunted the same area where you and I turkey hunted.
1: Oh, did you and see? And yeah. in that area.
2: Didn't find hardly any trash, maybe a random can or something, you know, nothing crazy at all. Really well maintained, pretty surprising. Um, but then that afternoon, while uh, my buddy was taking a nap and some other guys were still hunting that one property, I went up the road to another property and there was just trash everywhere. But it was a little bit less accessible. Uh, definitely no hikers coming to it uh, for the most part. So, it, it was one of those scenarios to where I think it's it's seclusion led to it being uh, inundated with trash. So, but right. it's it's nice to hear though that Hills didn't have a lot of trash on it. It's 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 kind of hit or miss with the game lands. I pulled up with like you said washers, mattresses, things yeah, like that in the parking seat. lot. Like,
0: so. yeah, I seen some crazy stuff somewhere. You know, I was following it because uh, I had to leave around noon, so I wasn't out there all day, unfortunately. And so my thinking is they maybe they came out later that day. But I was watching and there was a lot of success in the guys that I went to Uwari um, I saw so whoever that was, hope you listen to our podcast they did a great job and they they pretty much you know if you even want to call it but they they uh, they got their limit uh, of squirrels so yeah they, that's, I, think. Yeah, that's I, weird, I, so. I know
2: there was a group of guys that squirrel hunted with dogs and they did pretty good. Uh, a lot of guys found a bunch of trash and not many squirrels. And, and, and that's realistically, that's probably what's going to win it, is whoever finds the most trash. Last year across the whole state, only two squirrels got killed.
0: <laughs> you know, but, I, I got mad respect. I, what it taught me in that experience, I need squirrel dogs. Um, I've watched it on like you know a show like Meat or something like that, where that guy in right. Kentucky. Because uh, I'm going, I mean, you don't really appreciate it, I guess, until you actually in, 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 yeah. invest and in, in really think about it. Out there, I know there were squirrels there. I just didn't have the tool to find them. Yeah. And that's where a squirrel dog comes in right. because they might've been looking at me. And I'm telling you, I scanned, I'm glassing. I'm like, I'm thinking, man, one's going to pop up. Oh, that's a pine cone. <laughs> so <laughs> you start seeing, you know yep. what I'm saying? You start seeing stuff, a little breeze come by, pine cone move. Oh, oh, there yeah. it is. No, it's not. It's a pine cone, but it was uh, a good day. It
2: can be humbling.
0: It It was, but the great thing about it is, is I picked up on a lot of different things. Like, hey, man, I'm able to pick up a good bed down areas where the deer are at. Um, it wasn't even that far of a walk from where I started at. So, you know, if I was going to hunt that uh, during deer season, I know kind of a general area that maybe, hey, I can go ahead and, and look at. And and it was the good thing about right. that area too. Great. I In my opinion, and if anybody disagrees with me, you know, again, I, I have tree stand hunting very limitedly. But I think that's a great tree stand hunting place because there is a lot of open visibility for a while, mm-hmm. a lot of tall pines out there. Um, and I, I really do think if you spent the time and, uh, you know, assess the area, you could find some great opportunities there to do some deer hunting uh, later this year.
2: Oh, yeah. That, and that's what I was going to say we, we, as you started that statement. I was going to ask you, I, from what I've seen from pictures and stuff, it's a lot, a lot of open pines. Yeah. um and, and a lot of open areas with some with some underbrush and stuff which is which is why it's kind of a prime bird habitat but you, you know mean, it's it's you're you're talking about something that i kind of harp on yeah. and i don't do enough of but small game hunting especially squirrel hunting is a perfect time to get out and do some scouting while you hunt um this is a good time of the year to be doing it so yeah that's good that you utilize that and you and 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 to take away from it, realistically, you were successful because you learned things, you saw things. You may have not accomplished the ultimate goal, but you still accomplished some things while you're out there. So that's cool.
0: Yeah, it was it was a, it was a great day. I truly appreciate it being out there, and I, I definitely will go back in that area for sure. Um, and, and you, what's interesting, I'm just going to throw that out there. It's not all connected. So that's one thing with Sandhills Hill's yeah. gameland. It, it's so having an app like you know X or whatever right. else is out there that is an area you or just having something that's produced you know from you know ucgs or something have you need to really have a map out there right uh, because you could be walking onto a boundary and not even know it and they're pretty good right. about the painting the trees and marking but i'm telling you if you go out there have something to make sure you're staying on the right place because it is patchy there's big areas small areas across the road i mean you really know need to know you're on the game land
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, those knowing property lines, especially nowadays is, is very vital back in the day. You used to be able to kind of go where you wanted to. And if you ended up somewhere, you weren't supposed to, it wasn't the end of the world. People were typically pretty respectful about it. But now a lot of people are real protective. And especially I found that a fair amount of people that live adjacent to game lands are kind of leery of people coming on and off those game lands. And they're not, a lot of them tend to be not too, too welcoming. somebody accidentally ending up on their property they assume that everybody's coming in and just trying to slip in on it or something right i think
0: you know between i mean i think between uh just the normal disrespect if you want to call it from a variety of other outdoors activities uh that kind of happen it's not just hunting it's other things that kind of ruin that um and then just uh the fact of poaching you know probably has a part of it, yeah. especially when it comes to property owners that do hunt and everything else. That's a big, and you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a variety of things, not just one segment of it. So right. you know, just do the right thing and try and be a good ambassador for the, the, the sport and the, the, uh, activity you enjoy. It's really about what it is. 100%,
2: mm-hmm. man. That's a great message. We'd like to feature your successes and outdoor adventures. So shoot the pics over to us with a brief story at root one, slash contact. That's r o o t O-N-E-S-I-X dot com slash contact.
3: On target. What's up, everybody? This is Ron Holmes, a.k.a. Instructor One with Riker USA, coming to you on the Route 1-6 grind with your SHOT Show Breakdown update from SHOT Show 2020. It was a great show. It was my eighth year, and it was there for a lot of business. and Got a lot of great things accomplished. But I got to meet some amazing people and a lot of veteran-owned companies. And the first one is BDS Tactical Gear, veteran-owned company out of Oceanside. So check them out, BDS Tactical Gear, uh, pretty versatile. And again, a veteran-owned company. Uh, If you guys are familiar, there's like a bunch of dogs that are pretty popular in the the industry. And I got to meet Dark Storm Norm with Dark Storm Industries. And these guys have some pretty... uh, Pretty unique weapons that they're making, and they're actually up in the state of New York, but they don't consider themselves uh, part of New York City. Uh, I got to meet another veteran-owned company, Ghost Tactical. Turns out uh, my buddy Trey and I were actually uh, deployed at the same time on uh, on the same float, so that's always pretty cool when you can close a circle like that uh blackwater who i recently found out is now north carolina based out in uh, concord and they just dropped this new rifle that actually has a thumb trigger so instead of having your traditional trigger on your rifle the thumb goes into the back of the pistol grip and you just push down i haven't shot it yet i will be in a few weeks we're going out there and we're going to do a collaboration with the riker grip and their rifles and shotguns they just released at shot show And uh, I'm really excited to shoot this because it's their their concept behind it was ergonomics and mobility, which is had a lot to do with why we invented the Riker grip. They also just launched their own brand of ammo, so I'm gonna happily go up there and shoot as much of their ammo as I can because it's free. Uh, I got to sit down and chat with the owner of Fight Light. Now, if you guys have seen these guy these products that these guys make they make an upper for your ar-15 it turns it into a belt-fed rifle it's it's pretty sick that was one of the coolest things i actually got to see i had seen that but i hadn't physically seen it and that was awesome uh big shout out to another podcast the arms room llc uh down in orlando florida we got to sit down do a good uh, 15 minute interview and got to know those guys and looking forward to more with them uh down the road (coughs) i also got to meet a uh Tired Marine, Scott Husing, the author of Echo and Ramadi. And I got to tell you, I just started listening to the audio book. I'm halfway through it, and it is just, it's an, it's amazing. Uh, the guy tells a story of his, you know, what he went through with his Marines. And, and both times he fought in Ramadi, and it's it's a great story. So if you guys are looking for a good book, Echo and Ramadi, you should pick it up. Uh, got to meet uh, the owner of GTI which is a really unique training facility. If you guys follow the tactical games, they uh, had this back in last year. It's an old, uh, in South Carolina, it's an old nuclear facility that was built in the 70s, but it was never brought online. And it's now a pretty insane training facility. Um, kind of think like almost like the X-Men Danger Room. Um, it's it's kind of like that. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I also got introduced to a company called Desert Tech out of Utah. These guys have a a bullpup rifle that um, shoots three different caliber rounds. All you got to do is change out the barrel and um, it adapts to the magazines. Uh, Again, haven't shot this, but going to be doing some work with them later in the year. And one thing I want to say, I want to give a shout out to, is we picked up uh, another sponsored shooter. And we're all about the youth using our product and uh, coming up right with good, you know, good family values and and being brought up in the firearms industry with safety and training, you know, at the forefront of everything. So Nate Schmidt is a junior competitor. He is a, our first male sponsor, our first two sponsors that we've had are 12 year old alpha Addy in Texas and 13 year old Reagan, who is pineapple shooter. And both those little, those little ladies have been doing great things. And, uh, and making uh, embarrassing people. And I like to say it's because of the Riker grip. So Nate Schmidt, uh, junior shooter, thank you um, You know for, for seeking us out and getting to meet your parents. And uh, we look forward to having you on your team. So that's the SHOT Show 2020 wrap-up. Well, one more thing. I also did get to see the 3D printed, titanium 3D printed suppressors that SIG is making. And uh, impressive, nothing short of uh, amazing. And I haven't really been into suppressors before, but after seeing that one, I want a suppressor for every gun I own. So, again, that's the wrap up shot show 2020. Uh, thank you to the root one six grind for bringing me on to come on out here, and uh, I'll be doing this with you guys and uh, tactical tips, practical, tactical. And, You know, hit the show up and let them know if there's something that you want me to cover. And uh, train safe, train smart, train with a purpose. Ron with Riker USA. Hey, this is Mickey G. And uh, I want to talk this week about coolers. I got a quick question about them. Uh, I see a lot of people talking about Yetis. I see all the Yeti stickers and everything on it. And I was just wondering, is Yeti really that great? Or is Bigfoot, not the cooler monster? <laughs> all right, boys and girls, I'll chat to you later. you a good one bye.
0: I gotta give Nikki G, that was pretty funny,
2: at least for me. <laughs> he's uh he's all about those Bigfoots. Oh man. Oh man, I'm telling you, it's funny. Uh the whole time I was in Alabama, I was hunting with my friend that I mentioned before. Um that's the pseudo Bigfoot uh, believer, Dustin. And I swear to you, if I would have had to hear one more thing getting blamed on Sasquatch, I was going to lose it. Uh, that's all he talked about the whole time we were there, especially when we were camping. Uh, <laughs> every little noise, you hear that? a Sasquatch knocking. Oh, like, my God. Oh, dude. Funny. Wake up in the morning would be like, Sasquatch touched you last night? <laughs>
0: so. You know, when my son was like, my youngest one, when he was around uh, three or four. And I would take him out to, uh, you And I would always keep him occupied going, Hey man, keep your eyes out for Bigfoot. And I would drive for a little bit, be like, you see him. And he like, swear, yeah, I think I see him. You know, it just was awesome. And of course now he's older. He doesn't really do that, but I love it. Thank you, Nikki G. That was perfect, man. That was a good one.
1: In the Rock, Mud, and Dirt is brought to you by Warn Industries. At Warn, we pour our effort and our thirst for adventure into every product we make. You better believe American pride runs deep here in Clackamas, Oregon. Here, a small army of engineers, technicians, machinists, and assemblers design and refine Warn products, bringing them as close to perfection as possible. Their work is backed up by legendary quality control that doesn't just stand up to rigid Warren standards, it lives up to the toughest demands of the world's top vehicle manufacturers and military suppliers. How do we know? Because they've partnered with Warren for decades. This quest for peerless reliability, this Warren difference, will be around as long as Warren Industries is in business, at least another 70 years. Go prepared, go Warren. Welcome to
0: the Rock, Mud, and Dirt, this segment where I talk about the brands, products, and events from the off-road world. This week, I'm going to talk about the King of the Hammers. King of the Hammers is an off-road race that combines desert racing and rock crawling. This race is held in February at Means Dry Lake at Johnson Valley, California. This race is broadcast live on the internet at ultra4racing.com each year. King of the Hammers Race Week has expanded from one race, Nito King, King of the Hammers, Held from each year on Friday to a series of five races held throughout the week. The races include Can am UTV race on Sunday, the Everyman Challenge race on Wednesday, the Toyo Desert Inter Invitational on Thursday, which are unlimited trophy trucks, and the new Ultra Four Ultra Four versus Rock Bouncer Shootout held on Monday night of race week. The race vehicles used at King of the Hammers are known as Ultra Four vehicles, which are capable of speeds of over a hundred miles an hour for the desert sections, but still contain gear ratios of 100 to 1 or lower for technical rock crawling. The Ultra 4 class is unlimited 4,400, and every vehicle is custom fabricated by each team. Traditional design from each front drive train is straight axle design, but independent front suspension is becoming a popular design for high speeds achieved in the wide open plains of the desert. Most racers use highly modified engines that can have up to 800 horsepower, 40-inch tires are also very common, common with uh, the wheel, the racer's wheels. Competitors start side-by-side, side, two vehicles every 30 seconds, and must complete a 165-mile course in fewer than 14 hours. Each team passes through seven checkpoints and at all times while staying within 100 feet of the center line of the course. King of Hammers is a no-chase team race. Repairs can be done on the track, by the racers, or in the pit area. A last chance qualifier takes place before the race on a two-mile course. 35 to 50 teams attempt to qualify for the big race. This is a very exciting race for series to watch, so if you can't make it in person, like John Mapes from Nora 4x4, who we interviewed in Episode 2, then go to Ultra4Racing.com and watch it live online. The race ends on February 8th. That's Ultra4, the number 4, Racing.com.
2: Dude, those Ultra 4 rigs. That's, uh, when I read your show notes earlier, I did a little bit of digging in it and they look like dune buggies, you know, and they kind of, I mean, it's nothing too crazy looking, but, uh, for a gear ratio like that, and they do a hundred mile an hour, that's a trip.
0: You know, the pictures don't do those things justice either. They really don't. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, it does. And the, the terrain that they're on, I mean, this year it has been a lot of carnage out there. Uh, a lot of breakdowns. I mean, <laughs> wheels yeah. breaking off and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, the great thing about this is, you know, you get a, a a team together, and this is really a custom vehicle. So in the open, like uh, Warren the other day posted, uh, uh, had a post from King of Hammers, and it was a Suzuki you know, no kidding. a a beefed up Suzuki samurai thing, you know, obviously heavily modified, but, uh, essentially Suzuki Suzuki samurai. So it is just really cool to see that type of skill and fabrication at work. So it's not just being, you got to know how to race, but you got to know how to fix these things, build them, catch them. I mean, it, it is, it is amazing. And fortunately, uh, when, you know, Noir 4x4, they used to do the 36 hours uh, Iwari race here. You would actually meet a couple of these racers that actually competed at King of the Hammers. Uh, so it was really cool uh, to, to meet them and kind of hear about their experiences and stuff. And I have a good friend of mine, um, Scott, who owns candor Off-Road. Mm-hmm. He goes out there a lot to King of the Hammers and, and stuff like that. But he's a good guy to check out as well. It is an extreme race. Y'all, if you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, but you want to see some cool stuff, I mean, just think of like the most beefed up vehicle just going super fast, but it's it's on a really <laughs> aggressive terrain. And we're talking like straight up rock walls and all that kind of stuff like that. This isn't like pre-running like you see down in Baja. I mean, this is like, no kidding, like some ex- really extreme rock crawling and go fast. So it, it's something to check out. And that's at ultra4racing.com.
1: Imagine walking back to your vehicle in the parking lot and seeing glass on the ground with your door wide open. Your stomach drops and your world is turned upside down. Don't become a victim of opportunistic thieves. Be proactive and install a Tuffy. Since 1989... Tuffy Security Products has been the key to locking it up. Tuffy has adventure-ready consoles, drawers, and lock boxes available for your rig. With universal and vehicle-specific options, has something for what you drive. Organize your rig and secure your gear by visiting TuffyProducts.com today and special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. That's G-R-I-N-D in the special offer code box when you go to checkout at TuffyProducts.com. Go Adventure! Welcome to the Go Adventuring segment. This segment, we
0: celebrate people, groups, and organizations that bring positive outdoor adventures to you. This week, we have Erica, who lives in, lives to, to adventure and really loves to fish. Hey, Erica, thank you so much for being on our show. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little about yourself?
4: Thank you for having me. Um, a little bit about me. I am from upstate New York in the Adirondack region. Have you heard of Lake Georgia, New York before?
0: I can't say I have. If I saw a map, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, you know, my, you know, my geography teacher is probably mad at me." But yeah.
4: Well, no, honestly, it's a it's a thirty mile lake, but it's a small town. The actual town of Lake George. So if you haven't heard of it, I wouldn't be surprised. But it's kind of like I said, nestled in the Adirondacks, and there's just so many activities that you can do because of the environment that it's in. And because you have the lake right there, and even wintertime, there's so many outdoor activities. And growing up in this area, it's really given me the opportunity to embrace those outdoor activities. I've gotten to be able to get out and interact with nature and experience things that I've, I never would have experienced otherwise. And I think that's what like fishing and everything else, why it's so important to me and why I love it so much is because there's this whole world around you. And I don't know how people aren't as fascinated and intrigued by it as I am. The more I see and the more I experience, the more knowledge I have, the more I want to get out there and the more I want to be involved and do and see. And, um, you know, I take pictures along the way, but my photographs do not do, you know, the experiences justice. And, you know, basically to sum it up, I'm kind of like a part-time outdoors woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, I, you hit the nail on the head. As far as I'm concerned, because you want a true HD experience, it's not on your TV, it's not a movie theater, it's go outside. And oh, yeah. what you talked about with the the pictures, like, you know, obviously uh, I'm a big off-roader and I do a lot of that. And you take pictures of stuff people don't realize how big some of that terrain is. They're like, oh, oh man, that doesn't look so bad. Yeah, go out there and actually look at it. Mm-hmm. So it's much different. And then, like, say the fall, that explosion that you get in the fall with all the leaves, colors, and change, and then, you know, like around that sunrise, sunset with all the blues oh, yeah. and purples, you just cannot capture that perfectly uh, unless you want to do the filter thing, I guess. But so I've been following your Instagram page, uh, at lady angler underscore and and I was amazed by what I would refer to as a catcher today pictures. What is the story by, behind some of those pictures?
4: So there are three pictures that I think of specifically, and they're ones that have just kind of stuck with me experiences that, um, a lot of them were kind of like first experiences. So it's what. Brought me into fishing. Um, The first one is actually, I believe, the first picture that I posted on my Instagram. It was from Salmon River, which is in Pulaski, New York. And it's a tributary of Lake Ontario. They stock the lake with um, these big king salmon and every year they run up the Salmon River. And i it was the biggest fish that I've ever hooked into. And just looking at the picture, the f- smile on my face isn't like a picture smile. It's a genuine, like, I just loved it. It was the greatest feeling in my life. And I've never hooked into, a, or I hadn't hooked into a fish that big. And just, I still remember that feeling. And just fighting something. I had never seen the rod bend like that or felt that kind of power. It was just Oh, it it. I mean, it gets my heart racing just talking about right, it. Right, and
0: I can tell. How long was that fight for?
4: You know what? It was. I, she was pretty rotten at that point. It was probably ten, fifteen minutes. It wasn't very long, but it still. I hadn't felt anything like that. I caught little tiny trout before that, so that was awesome for me.
0: Yeah, I, I really love your page. I just, I mean, you you have some amazing uh, fish out there. Some big hogs in there as well. So yeah, what is the diversity of the fish that you catch out there?
4: Um, I pretty much catch whatever I can catch. I there are times where I go to catch certain fish and I catch something completely different. I've been salmon fishing and caught perch. Um, I am nice. still relatively new, still rel- relatively inexperienced, still have a lot to learn. Um, I've fished my entire life, but I didn't start taking it seriously up until a few years ago, and it's actually kind of when I got into fly fishing and I don't know what it is about fly fishing. It just, that it it captured me in a way that no other fishing had before. And I think that's what really drives me to do it because I'm I'm not the kind of person that likes to sit still. I want to move. I want to do something. With fly fishing, I have that option too. I don't have to sit still. Whereas, like, I feel like, you know, a lot of times you just throw the line out there. You got your bobber or sinker or whatever on the end. You, you let it sit and i don't you don't have to do that with fly fishing so that's
0: it's a rhythm no, it's, right it's kind of like a rhythm that you do
4: yes oh yeah definitely it's like i well i used to be a modern dancer i danced for over 20 years and when i stopped dancing fly fishing almost replaced that it still gave me a great experience i got to experience beautiful things and i got to move at the same time and kind of two very different things but for some reason the passions for both of them are definitely equal
0: so i want to get back to fly fishing but i want to ask you this question you brought something up that was that really uh set with me i think i mentioned it i think maybe last show but you you said specifically hey i've been fishing all my life but i'm just now really getting into it so you're taking it serious and i honestly feel that Right. Because I've always kind of looked at it this way. Hey, I've taken my kids fish and I've done like, you know, what you're talking about. But then there's the you know, what I'm actually going outside. I'm looking at, you know, the type of bait I'm using. I mean, you're it's kind of like you're looking at the science and the technology that you're employing in order to have the experience that you want. When I say technology, I'm not saying like all the fancy stuff. It's just how you approach things and everything. Um, I think that's pretty cool how you looked at that. And that's a very honest uh, review of yourself. So what, what do you, what, what do you think was the thing that made you say, you know what, I need to elevate my game here. I need to take this more serious.
4: Um, it, well, it was actually a person that kind of did it. The, uh, a friend of mine brought me into like fishing really gave me the experiences that I needed that, uh, to feel that rush, you know, when the fish starts pulling that drag and it just to get your heart to race like that. And He showed me that and then it got to the point where I wanted to be able to do it myself. I didn't want him to be the one tying on the fly that was going to work or using his entire setup. You know, he used to hand me his rod. I didn't want to do that. So there's actually kind of a, a story that goes along with that. I There's a river here, local, that was one of the first spots he took me to fly fishing. So... I went, I caught a rainbow trout, and it was two years later, we went back to the same exact spot, only this time I had my setup. I had all of my stuff, my gear, my fly tied on, and I was able to catch a rainbow trout. And nice. not the same exact spot, but the same body of water. And that, for me, was such a huge accomplishment, to be able to go out there and do it on my own and know that if, I mean, say the... I don't know the world ended and I had to provide for myself knowing that I could, that's an awesome experience too.
0: Right. So do you uh, catch and release or do you uh, kind of do both catch and release and, you know, cook the fish and all.
4: For the most part I catch and release. I I'm not a huge fish person, so I don't really see the point in keeping it unless right. someone is going to eat it.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Well, that's awesome. So do you make your own flies? That's a whole skill set, too.
4: I, I do know how to tie a little bit, not very well. And for the most part, tying for me is like arts and crafts. A lot of what I tie, I only tie one of, and then I won't use it because I'm like, well, if I use it and it works, I won't remember what I tied. <laughs> most of them probably won't work in the first place because they're like pink and sparkly and frilly. And the fish will probably look at that and go, what is that thing?
0: So, so have uh, you ever uh, made a chart chartreuse
4: fly? I don't think I've made one. That's all it's chartreuse. A, it's a, no. Yeah.
0: Cause uh, that goes back to a show. I don't know how, what show it was, but, uh, Chuck's father swears by that color, swears by it for fishing chartreuse. Like, I didn't even know what, what it was. I had a hard time even, pr- an, 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 you know, pronouncing it. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, Oh, okay. But yeah, his dad swears by that color. So far as the, uh, Fishing. I mean, that's not the only thing you do, though. There's some other things you mentioned. Crafts and you. you obviously, I've seen like some other pictures where you kind of traveled. You know, why don't you tell us a little about that?
4: Oh, I, I, uh, I have so many different hobbies. I do a lot of things. I stay busy. Um, traveling, though, is uh, probably my favorite thing to do. I have seen 26 states, and when I say seen, I don't mean I've like visited and Stop stopped at the gas station. Got the magnet. What was that?
0: You stop at a gas station, just got the magnet?
4: More or less, yeah, or a hat or something, a postcard, whatever, yes. Um, But, I mean, driving through it, you still get to see what it looks like, the landscape. And for me, that's, I mean, for me, that's seeing the state. If I drive from one end to the other, I'm sorry, I saw the state.
0: (laughs) You know, Uh, the diversity of this country, most people have no clue of. I mean, I've crossed this country numerous times, especially when I served in the Marine Corps. And... I mean, it it just blows my mind the amount of diversity of our nation, and people just need to get out there and experience it. And I love that how you're sharing it. Hey, I'm driving through and I'm experiencing it.
4: And uh, the best way to do it is to drive. Um, I mean, I got to stop and see the Grand Canyon. I got to stand on the Four Corners Monument. I w- I've seen both the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. There's, that's exactly how you put it. You have to get out there and you have to do it. I mean, you can stare at pictures and stare at a screen and go, wow, it's beautiful. But you have to get out there and you have to see it for yourself.
0: I agree. You know, well, there was one trip I took from California and I was driving back uh, to Texas uh, where I'm from. And uh, I literally... Actually, you know what? I think I was crossing. I was actually going to Virginia at that time. I get all my trips mixed up. But I was driving, and I remember just saying, you know what? I'm going to take this off trail. And I head down. I uh, took a, a shoot off of Route 66, and I went and saw all this desert. I stopped in this, you know, the uh, I can't remember the park, actually, and uh, I think it's Great Bend or something in, in West Texas. I remember mm-hmm. sitting out there on my, uh, my Jeep Cherokee and having my lunch and not a soul in sight and just being at peace. It was, just, And it was so beautiful. And you're not going to get that, like you said, you know, in a book or, you know, flying over or any of those type of things.
4: And sometimes even the best experiences you have are when you're trying to have a good one and you end up getting lost in the process. And it's the chaos that kind of makes everything all worth it. I have taken a three-hour drive to go ice fishing only to get there in my my little tiny car. And realized that the last mile is all ice, but (laughs) on the way there and on the way back, I saw things. I saw an all white deer. I never in my entire life would have ever seen that had I not left the house.
0: That is a great attitude. You focus Mm -hmm. on it. Yeah, that's great. Like focus on the things that matter. I, I love that attitude. Um, You know, as far as uh, you know, when you're going out, you're driving, what what are the things far as, hey, I get up today, I'm going to go fishing. What drives your schedule for these things that you want to go out and do? Like how do you go about it?
4: Um, when it comes to fishing, I think about it more than pretty much anything else. I get to the point where I get antsy if I don't go fishing. I get I get almost like grumpy. You know how people get like hangry. I get that way about fishing. Um So I think that more than anything is what drives me to do it because it's a stress reliever. It's something I enjoy doing. And if I can get out of, you know, this, um, all these screens, you know, your phone, your computer, your TV, and just get away from it. That just, it helps. I mean, I get a great experience. I get to see beautiful things and I get to de-stress and unwind.
0: You know, and there are some things I I remember, uh, there was like, there used to be a big race out here, um, in Yawari called 36 hours. And there's a a pair, uh, a couple, and they have like this huge setup. They're very popular. They're big influencers on social media. And I got a picture with them. I had this thing where, you know, talking about, uh, doing a warrior stance in yoga. Right. And I'm going somewhere with this, trust me. So (laughs) I took that picture with them, but uh, a couple of my buddies, I asking, hey, why don't you post it? I said, you know, some things in life are just for you. And I think with some of these experiences, too, where we're so concentrated on, oh, I got a picture of this and picture of that. Some things just take in the moment. Hey, that moment's mm-hmm. for you. Like last weekend, I was in the Sand Hills game lands. I was so at peace. I mean, I took one picture because it was uh, an event that I was participating in. But other than that, you know, it, it was just nice to do that. And I saw some beautiful things. I saw some beautiful nature. But you know what? That's for me. That's mm-hmm. for me. It's not for everybody else. And I, I think that's, uh, we, we kind of gotten away from that somewhat. But I, I really, really enjoy how you shared that. So far as like, you you have photography too. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Like, you know, are you looking at, are you kind of like the hobbyist or you got that sweet Nikon or Canon set up?
4: Oh you- no, I I have um an iPhone 6S, I think. Okay. <laughs> that is what right. you- majority of my pictures are taken on oh, I do have a GoPro, uh uh-huh. like a really old, ancient one, but um I don't have anything fancy. A lot of my pictures are just I what I see. Like I one of the pictures I walked out of Walmart and the sky was a shade of pink that I didn't even know it could be. And just for me capturing that moment and in that moment that was for me, but being able to share that with other people and, you know, just like everything. If I can inspire someone to get out and maybe see a pink sky for themselves, you know, all all the better.
0: Now as far as like what you want to do with fishing, are you looking at maybe getting in competitions? Or are you looking at maybe getting in terminates? You know, something like that. I mean, you're obviously you reel in some fish, so you know what you're doing. Are you, are you looking to take that someplace else?
4: Um, right now, no. I do have a brother of mine. He does uh, fishing tournaments, usually ice ice fishing, and he tends to win every year. Um, you know, eventually I'll go out with him and steal all of his spots, and then I'll compete too, and you know, I'll win instead.
0: <laughs> does he have secret spots? Is he one of those guys? Uh,
4: yes and no. I he is also outdoorsy. He fishes and he hunts. And then I have one other brother and he just loves football and that's, he didn't get the outdoor gene, but we love him anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, my brother, uh, Zach, the one that fishes and hunts, he is phenomenal. He, I mean, he has almost a lifetime more experience than I do. So I have a lot to learn. Um, and there's a lot that I can learn from him and hopefully, of eventually I can work towards whether it's competing, whether it's guiding. Um, I'm, I'm not sure uh, whether I just continue fishing for a hobby. Honestly, that it doesn't really matter for me as long as I can keep fishing.
0: That's awesome. I, I liked how you mentioned like the as far as a progress, you know, possibly with the potential of, of doing a, a guide. Uh, we just had a gentleman on last show and he's a, a guide up there in Maine. And if you follow them, um they have some great I mean holy cow he does a lot of things with veterans and stuff definitely go back to was episode 11 and and listen to them they uh yeah they're called uh, uh operation reboot outdoors and they do some amazing things and he that's what he did and that helped him out and for you to maybe transfer into that skill set and able to bring people outdoors and help them have successful adventures that's pretty cool so Speaking of where we can find you, where, if someone's like, man, where can I find Eric? I need to get some scoop on this or that. Maybe they want to go out there and fish with you, or maybe they just want information on how, Hey, what pole should I get? You know, you, where, how do I start all this? Where could they find you?
4: Um, so I really don't have a lot of social media. The best way to find me is on Instagram, um, which again is lady angler underscore NY, um, You know, send me any questions that you have. I will be honest, I'm not on there very often. I tend to be outside more than in, but I will get back to you as soon as possible. Um, Yeah, and feel free to reach out to me with whatever.
0: Yeah, awesome. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes. And really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Everyone, I I encourage you to go out there and follow her page. Uh, You will definitely be inspired. I was, and therefore, I wanted to bring on our show and uh, share her story with you. So, Erica, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Want to be
0: on the show? Maybe share with us some interesting hunting, fishing, overlanding, wheeling, or adventuring news? Then give us a call at the Route 16 Grind hotline at 919-694-3356.
1: And maybe you will be on our next show. Since 1989, Tuffy Security Products has been the industry leader in automotive security. Tuffy has a variety of vehicle-specific consoles, drawers, and lockboxes. Tuffy Manufacturers adventure-ready organization and security for your Jeep, truck, or SUV. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. The Cup of Joe segment is brought to you by Seasteak Coffee. Have you ever actually drank good coffee? Stop wasting your money on old, stale coffee from the store and make the switch to Seasteak Coffee. Seasteak Coffee is a United States Marine Corps veteran owned and operated roastery selling premium coffee that's roasted on order and delivered fresh to you. Order your coffee today at www.seasteakcoffee.com.
0: Man, what a show!
1: Yeah,
2: great show, man. I'm not sure if I mentioned it when we were talking about the trashy squirrel, but just a heads up for everybody around here that's interested, it's running through the 15th of February. So you still got two more weekends to get out there and get it done.
0: Right on, right on. Hey, I got a great thing coming up this weekend. So I I know I shared a few times on this podcast about uh, the thing that really got me excited about getting back and hunting. And it's um, uh, a wonderful event uh, called, uh, enduring gratitude, uh, held out at a, uh, uh, what is it called? I think it's a uh, snow camp, North Carolina. And this organization does some amazing things and they essentially just take you out a uh, bunch of veterans. I mean, it is like literally over a hundred or more veterans that get together and you go shoot clays all day and you go pheasant hunt. Uh, they, it's a lot of bonding that day. And I'm going to go out and volunteer this Saturday kind of like, you know, um, my thank you. And hopefully I meet, you know, some of the guys out there. I'm going to, you know, hopefully bring some stuff back for next week, maybe for our, from the field segment. So I'm excited about that. Um, I tell you what, instructor one, Ron, man, great breakdown from shot brother.
2: Oh man, dude, that was so much information. I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm gonna have to go back and, Well, for one, I got to listen to this thing because you just finished up Erica's Go Adventures segment, so I'm going to have to listen to it at this point in time. Obviously, the listeners listen to it. I've already heard it probably, but... I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that, but I'm gonna have to go back and listen to Ron and take notes, man. It was so much stuff, and then like I completely like blacked out when he mentioned belt-fed er ar.
0: <laughs> when well, that awesome? I tell you yeah. the, the the that super cool, n- no doubt about it, and the, what he was <laughs> realistically, yep, man, on point with you with the suppressors. But what about that whole new trigger configuration? Think about it Which for is, hunters.
2: I don't know, man. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's really weird. Cause, cause immediately, like when he brings that up, I start pantomiming, like, how would I shoot like with my thumb? And I'm, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of weird. I think for, I'd have to, I'd have to see it to see how it, see how it worked. You know, I'm just so used to that trigger squeeze.
0: And I think for those of us who like been in military, cause you have like all sorts of hardware now, especially with the AR 15 platform, you're, you squeeze, you push, mm-hmm. you're, there's, there's something that does something you're doing more than just squeezing that trigger. Uh, half the time there's a lot of other things and bells and whistles that are included on that AR platform. So I think it's one of the things we just take for granted that oh yeah man that's so the, I think the adaptability of it I, I agree with you. It's it's all new. Um and it's I like the what I like about it. It's the thinking out of the box. It's you know hey let's let's work what what are the areas that we can improve upon? And it's kind of like what you know Riker did with their grip. Hey there there's something there's a something that might fit you. And then uh you know this whole new i gotta see it man i'm with you i want to see it i want to touch it want to feel yep. it um i wish i could get the free bullets that ron does i mean what's up ron <laughs> brother up yeah but uh...
2: nah yeah no there's always a part of me like i always i'm like oh it'd be cool to go to ata and it'd be cool to go to like shot show and everything but have you been at to the one? same time no oh you should go yeah go. well, i've got so much other stuff going on yeah Like there's no i can't get away in the springtime at all pretty much but The, uh, the,
0: um, well, shot shows in January, but the, uh, the, the, there's a, and anyone has ever gone, you know, I'm talking about the swag that you get there is better than none, man. It's so if those, you don't know what shot show is, it literally is the biggest gun show in the world, essentially to water it down. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's in Vegas and it is amazing. You literally, you have, if you're going to go, you have to go at least two days. The third day you'll probably be like, okay, I'm over it. But the, within two days, it takes you two days to go see everything uh, in there. It is huge. And there's so many great opportunities to talk to manufacturers. And I, I don't think I had a bad experience at a shot show. I've been in a couple of them and you, and the great thing about it too, is you run into people. Like for me, especially I run into people. I know, um, I used to kind of work in, in a little bit in that industry and, uh, it's, it's really fun. And, and, you know, and it's not just, there's a lot of outdoor companies there too. It's not just, you know, your, your gun manufacturers and oh, know, yeah. the yeah. bullets and stuff. It is, it is very much an outdoor show as well. So don't let that, uh, you know, if that's not your interest, there might be something there that, that is. So, uh, definitely check it out. Um, but Erica really appreciate her coming. Well, on. Yeah.
2: That's how I know about it. Oh, what's that? The shot show is through the outdoor space. Oh yeah. That's yeah. how I know what it is. More so from the shooting side of things. But anyway, back to Erica.
0: (laughs) It's fine, dude. It's our show. We can do what we want, man. Um, But yeah, really cool. Uh, That was really just something, literally, y'all – I was just kind of like following hashtags or whatever to kind of check some things out and it's going to sound weird the way it's going to come out. But yeah, I I found her on Instagram, but not in a creeper way, but I was like totally fascinated with the images that she had of these fish. And it was like another fish another one. And she just pulling these things out. Like, and so I totally encourage you to go uh, follow her page but I was like, man, I got to know the story behind this. And really great story. Um, Very much, uh, you know, I, I just really appreciate her sharing her story with us. And, you know, definitely look forward to, you know, as she progresses in her skill set, if she advances on, like she talked about possibly becoming a guide. If she does that, I would love to bring her back on and, and talk about that. and. You know, y'all, we want to get you on here. So you don't have to be this person that has like 50,000 followers on your social media. It's not about that. It's about your story, it's about your authenticity, it's about how do you inspire others to get outside and enjoy something because. I cannot say it enough, man. I would not be here on this podcast right now if someone didn't inspire me, something didn't inspire me to say, hey, get back to the things that you love and, and get into it. And then somebody as cool as Chuck said, hey, man, I'll take you hunting. That's what it is. I want, this is kind of my way of, of giving that back and every week trying to share that story with all these different things we love to say, look, there's a whole, I think there was a post we put out there like, hey, nature's out there. It's got plenty of space for you. Go out there and, and experience it.
2: Yep. No, hundred percent. We do want to share the stories of just anybody and everybody uh, that's that's got an interesting interesting story to tell. Which is most folks that are in the outdoor world, uh, and no matter how you're recreating. So yeah, that's the type of people we want on. I'm not I'm not out here discriminating and looking for somebody that's going to get get us some kind of notoriety or I just want somebody on here because they've got a million followers or whatnot. So thank you all for joining us. Remember, if you have an idea or maybe you'd like to contribute to one of our segments, all you have to do is go to Root16.com and select contact and let us know your idea. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X.com and select contact.
1: Thanks for listening to the root Six Grind. We want to thank our amazing sponsors, Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, Sea State Coffee, and Route 16 Off-Road for their support. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and more. Just look for Route 16. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X. Or just go to Route16.com. Until next week, plan smart, be safe, and as always, be prepared. Fish on!
2: Yeah!